1: From the Ante-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Antioch Pokercast, and now here are two guys who think they know how to play poker: Chris Casenza and Scott Long.
0: It's December Fourteenth, Two Thousand Eighteen. You're listening to the greatest pokercast ever invented. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. To Sounds say like, uh, we're Edison. Uh, well, we invented the pokercast. I mean guys like, may have done poker podcasts but we invented real genius, the genius
2: like Val Kilmer and stuff or <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know we were sitting around with the you know the brain trust of the St. Petersburg Times at one time and came up with this idea and came up with this name and we invented it
2: well i'll tell you it's interesting i talked to i stopped uh, one of our listeners who lives in my town uh and uh he's doing his own podcast now it's really kind of interesting and uh, when I stopped over his, uh, his office, I saw some like Pod, something or other. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, yeah, it's a great conference. It's going to be in Orlando. And then uh, he's like, the national one's going to be in Orlando this year, too. You guys should go. All the big people are there. I'm like, I'm really nice. We've never actually gone to a podcast. Yeah. Anything because we we got into the game too early. Yeah, yeah. before there was a yeah. <laughs>
0: conference. It's so funny you said that too because a cousin of mine just messaged me and was like, "Hey, next time I see you, let's I'm gonna pick your brain about podcasting. I'm thinking about doing one. It's <laughs> just like all in the same day now. I'm getting hit with all this podcast stuff. <laughs> we're old hats at it though. We're we're like in the podcast hall of fame. We're we're definitely old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Alright, well let's start the show off this week with something we talked about last week And I think this is fascinating So this is the uh, the dark room prop bet, right? So yeah. it's over, folks um, Rich Elotti, uh the poker player confined himself to that pitch black room for 30 days to win a $100,000 prop bet Left the room 20 days into the bet Winning $62,000 Rory Young, the player who bet Elati, he couldn't do it Said he greatly underestimated Aladi's resolve to win And agreed to the adjusted deal Alati uh, said he was able to keep tabs on somewhat on how long he'd been in the room based on him being able to hear the landscaper starting to work each morning. Uh, there's a big miss. Jeez. Uh, also, various media sources reported that two signed an 11-page contract, Chris, before the bet began. <laughs> oh, and man. several her- several her- uh, healthcare professionals uh, discounted uh, the chance that Lottie would suffer any kind of permanent damage by being in dark... For that long, which is what we talked about last week, so that's good to know. Yeah. Um. But uh, before we talk about that a little bit, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. I talked about last week how we just started talking about this at the pub, right? Yeah. people. Last night I was out with some friends, some former Times folks, and mentioned it. And we talked about it. It spawned another 30, 45-minute discussion about it. So. As much as I hate these prop bets, this is one that gets people talking.
0: This is like going to be like when you were in high school trying to pick up girls and you have that favorite line you like to use. This is <laughs> going to be your favorite conversation starter now for the rest of your life. You're just going like to walk up to people and go like, hey, could you do 30 days in a dark room for hundred grand?" And that's it. And then you just, oh, Sky, you're so witty. Let's talk.
2: <laughs> hey, uh, anybody find an Olympic gold medal around? It's part of a set.
0: <laughs> oh, you're killing me. I got to tell you, so here's the deal. it's funny, too, because
2: I didn't put it on the show um, show notes here, but, you know, Phil Hellmuth just did this prop bet where he tried to hit a tennis ball from a pro, right? And then I started thinking about that. I'm like, all right, it's Phil Hellmuth, so he's going to get a lot of traffic for that, right? But does anybody care about that now? Now, This guy has survived 20 days in the dark in 162,000. This is the prop bet to beat all prop bets now.
0: I just – here's the deal, and for me – if you think back on your life and you know that someday you're going to die and you have no idea if there's an afterlife or not let's say there's no afterlife and you have one life to live yeah okay you made 62 grand for 20 days but you gave up 20 days of this one incredible chance at life I mean when a lot of people like to do that they like to say you know think about how rare you are as a human being that all of the things that had to come into play you know to for you to actually exist and now you've taken 20 of those days and sat in a dark room and meditated for 20 days of that life for 62 grand i don't know if especially when guys are have enough money in their account to be able to make a bet like this and lose it and not really care, That's then terrific. was it really worth the sixty-two grand you won that you probably would have won at the poker tables had you had two days sitting there or something? You know, is it really worth that prop bet? You just lost twenty days of your life for sixty-two grand. Eh, I don't think it is. Uh okay. We can agree disagree.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right, you're right. If you have the means. Then you're not doing it just for the money. But I, I don't think these people ever do this stuff for the money. I think they do it just to see whether they can, they they can actually do it. Uh, the money's just kind of a an enhancer to it. So
0: exactly. So to me, if I knew that this is the only life I was going to have, and I don't know for sure, so I have to think that way. Am I really? If I don't. The money doesn't mean anything. Then why am I wasting twenty days of my life? And it would have been thirty had the guy not sold out. Is, why would I waste? And the other thing too is. I mean, he didn't really get anything for that money because it was basically two-thirds of the bet anyway, and he did two-thirds of the time, so you know what I mean? He, it's not like he got a buyout yeah, that he, was...
2: he got he got money. He got the per-day rate. Yeah, per-day rate, extra basically.
0: Extra 10 days, so... Yeah. I don't uh, know. I just don't think it's worth the... If, if the money didn't mean anything, then why waste 20 days of your life and possibly 30? I don't get it. Eh,
2: well, we don't have the mindset of the prop bet poker players, Chris, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we love talking about them, though. That's we love striking up conversations in bars about it. I guess.
2: Uh, so my favorite part of this is uh, when Rory, Roy started the negotiations at twenty five k. Oh yeah. And, uh, and Rich laughed at. Well, he didn't laugh at him. I'm just, I'm assuming he <laughs> laughed at him, but he quickly dismissed it, right? Uh-huh. And I think that, and that's from what I can tell from the story I read. That's when um, uh, Rory realized that. Uh, we're just gonna make, he's gonna go the distance here, because he uh he's not gonna walk out for twenty five. He's not in any if you're any kind of stress at that point, right? You'll be all right, Give me twenty five k, let me get back to my life. Yeah, that, consensus says I'm wasting right. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, so the fact that he quickly dismissed it, snap, to snapped, missed it, right? And uh, that's when I thought, okay, we got to figure out something here to get out of this, because I am on the hook for hundred thousand dollars. Um, so uh, very good. Uh, now I'd be curious. It is a miss I think. They they spent a lot. It sounded like they spent a um uh Roy spent a lot of time and effort in, in creating this room in his house in Vegas to for this guy to live in, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't think about the soundproofing apparently. If you could hear the landscapers yeah. outside. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, you know, now I'm curious whether if it was soundproof whether he would have had a better idea how long he is. And then at that case, if you don't really know how long you've been in there and somebody offers you 25,000 now you got to think about it for a minute, right? Because, like, maybe you think you've been there for 20 days like you did, and it's not worth it to take the 25K. But if you're completely wrong and you've only been there five days, <laughs> they seem like forever. Yeah. And then, uh, then they come back, like, four days later and go, all right, we'll give you 1000 now. <laughs> and you take it then, right? Yep. That's what's really fascinating about this, I think.
0: Did, didn't we mention that last week about that, that the room was going to be soundproof or we mentioned we hoped it to I couldn't remember I if we talked about soundproofing.
2: I don't think we talked about soundproofing. Maybe we did. I don't remember that, yeah. but I remember talking about the uh, the refrigerator not having a light in there and everybody's like, oh, you know, you can turn the light off in the refrigerator. You <laughs> take the bulb out. And I'm like, all right, nerds. Thank you. <laughs> Engineering nerds. <laughs> Even last night at the bar, we were talking about that. And I'm like, yeah, Chris, I thought about, it. you know, you can't have a refrigerator in there because of the light. And then someone said, you can take the bulb out. Oh, come on. <laughs> I have no concept of doing bits on shows.
0: <laughs> don't you know how hard it is to do podcasting? We've been doing yeah. this forever.
2: We've never even been to a conference. <laughs> we, don't know
0: what to do. <laughs> we don't need no stinking conference.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yes, it's definitely the prop at the top all prop bits. So it's going to be hard-pressed for somebody to, to get something that – that that's gonna be my new bar now. Is if I can go into any random bar with people that don't know anything about poker and say, "Hey, these two idiots—I won't say poker players—are doing this prop bet," whether they actually engage me in a in a forty-five minute conversation or not. Oh, they will. If they don't, then it's not a good prop bet.
0: Yeah, they, that that's how they'll know. They'll 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 want to talk about it, but they—if it's not good, then they'll just be like, "Yeah, let's have another drink." But you know. This one was pretty good. I think if you talked about the other ones, like the walking from L.A. to Vegas one or whatever that was through Death Valley yeah. or something, and that'll get people talking too. But these bets are... That's why there's... Probably thousands of bets going on at once, and we don't know about the ones that are horrible. the ones that are really funny, the ones that make the news, and we are funny or interesting and that's why we're talking about them
2: or unique yeah. or
0: unique yeah. but uh yeah i I am shocked though uh, props to this guy for actually being able to do <laughs> ah, props props get it but uh easily uh easily done that's 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 remarkable, remarkable to me.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen anything um, since him, since he got out, how he is. The, the one uh, eye care professional said that the eyes are amazing organs and they have a uh, real good tolerance for both dark and light. So really the only effect that he would probably have is he would take, he'd be his eyes would be a little sensitive to light for a while until they readjusted to it. But,
0: and I wonder um, how those negotiations went. Like, did he open the door and go into the room and talk to him or did he like shout it through the door or, you know, because he didn't want to, you know, give him any concept of what time it was or you know what I mean wonder how those negotiate
2: yeah I, I was sort of just negotiate my yawning so it made it sound like it's late at night or
0: something really mess him up <laughs> just in the morning that's true desperation when you're trying to save <laughs> 30 grand on a bet
2: trying to bluff him in the dark room absolutely I'm a <laughs>
0: book player Oh,
2: man. Oh, man. All right. So uh, I thought this next item was a little interesting. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, Bart Shirley, writing on uspoker.com, did a little bit of analysis of the 28 Nevada poker rooms that have closed in the past six years to see if any parallels could be drawn. He decided on three. Uh, room size. Uh, smaller rooms are more likely to close. Uh, competition and lack of niche. Uh, many of the rooms that closed were in Las Vegas and had a tough time competing with the big rooms. And casino financial difficulty five of the closed poker rooms' casinos later closed themselves or were rebranded.
0: You know, you know how the, sometimes like the government will do these really long-ass studies, and they will take forever, and then at the end, they finally say, okay, after 347 days of studying and $6 million put into this project, we have discovered that water is wet. <laughs> No offense to Bart Shirley. I mean, I'm sure he did a lot of analysis. But when you break it down, I mean, these things, it's so obvious. It seems obvious. I mean, when the rooms are small, no one wants to play there because they're, they they want to have a vibrancy to their room. They want to have big fields if they're playing in a tournament. Um, they want to have many games to choose from if they're playing poker. They don't want to just be stuck with the same nine guys who have their hat screwed on backwards and smell bad that they got to get themselves some clean, as Scott likes to say. So... You know that one is pretty obvious competition I mean that's pretty obvious too if you got eighty five different poker rooms pulling you know your dollar in so many different directions that the small ones that can't keep up or don't have their niche is gonna close that's pretty obvious and then financial difficulty well, that's pretty obvious too, so it just seems like yeah those those are the reasons why things close in all walks of life. If you got a little tiny rinky dink store and you're parked right next to Walmart you're closing you know. Um, but I, I I do think it's it's true. I think you could translate that to any, not just Vegas, but you could do it even here. I remember the rooms that closed here in Florida. There were little itty bitty tiny rooms that had like one or two tables. They get gobbled up, you know. And there's just no chance of survival when you're next to a room that has seventy tables. You just there's no way.
2: Well, I think a couple of things are interesting. One, to that thing he says, competition and lack of niche. So, I mean, you can survive as a small room in Vegas or other big places if you have a niche. If you do something that other rooms aren't doing, you know, whether you're doing a nightly free roll tournament or some kind of promotion or you, you're you spreading a six twelve mixed game or something that's not available anywhere else, right? So that's kind of where you need to go. I think you need to go if you're running a small room in Vegas and not just try to run it like every other room and hope that, Bunch of people are going to come in and play one, two, no limit in your room, and when there may not be a game, when they can go literally twelve steps away and be sure they get a game. So, a couple more things. Obviously, it's not scientific at all, right? Uh, It's only Nevada poker rooms. It would be really interesting to, I think, now be really interesting to look at all the poker rooms in the United States that have closed in the last six years and really look at that because now you're looking at different differently than just Nevada. Yeah. Uh, Vegas is a different, whole different ball of wax. Um, he did mention room size, too, is not a constant, but, you know, like in Wendover, uh, the larger room is nine tables. I think it's like three tables that are nine, eight, and six, so, mm. so um, the, the nine-table room is the Bellagio <laughs> there, right? Yeah. Small, it's just a, it's based on the competition that you're at. Um, no, Vegas is a completely different market, so... Um, and I think the other thing kind of interesting, it wasn't mentioned here, but people need to keep in mind, is this is over six years, right? So 28 poker rooms have closed. Uh, we've already talked about how that's probably not a terrible thing because some rooms got bigger. And so the number of tables is really the bigger indicator, I think. For yeah, yeah. Um, But there also were rooms that opened in the last six years in, in Nevada. So um, that wasn't part of his um, analysis, you know, what what caused those rooms to open, um, some opened and then closed and <laughs> reopened in that <laughs> period as well, too. So yep. um, I think you got to throw that in as well, too, if you're studying to see why. Um, because like some of those rooms that opened were not – none of those rooms that I can think off the top of my head were big rooms. In the last six years that opened, they were smaller rooms. So um, now they may not be doing terrifically great, but they did open. Um, so you know, if a six-table room closes down the street and a six-table room opens up the street <laughs> – uh, what does that <laughs> how do you yeah. analyze that right right so i don't know but I, I appreciate him actually doing putting it together and looking at looking at it a little bit um, uh I do think uh, the biggest thing I think is the end the casino financial difficulty one of the things he said it's uh when your poker room closes it's kind of like the canary in the coal mine the coal right mine, yeah that's where you now you're starting okay so the poker room just closed and then replacing it with slots which they can do at any time but that's usually happens when times get tough and you like to make tough decisions so you know those gms look around and say all right that poke room that's not generating any money Now it's the time for us to put slot machines in there so when you see that happen then that's when you start to it's a good indication at least a, a, an indicator of looking at the overall casino whether it's going to survive um on its own, or whether it's going to be sold or rebranded, as it mentions. So, that was that was probably the most interesting part of it for me.
0: So. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong by my comments either. I'm not saying what Bart did wasn't not only great but worthwhile, it just sucks that when the conclusion of something like this, you put all that work into it, and the conclusion is almost exactly what you'd expect it to be. Right.
2: Nothing shocking, right?
0: Nothing shocking. That's what sucks about it. It would have been cool if it was something from out of the field that was like, this is why they're closing, and then we can sort of plug that leak in our game kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that's why... Well,
2: you really had a lot of time to put into it. I think what you'd want to do is look at how the rooms were run, right? Um, you know, what kind of promotions were they running? What kind of tournaments were they running? When were they doing those things? Because um, I can tell from talking to some poker room managers whether the room is going to be successful under their watch and whether it's not, right? Mm-hmm. So it, sometimes when I see these casino uh, poker rooms shut down, I'm I'm not surprised just because I, I know there wasn't anything exciting being done by the, the management. So um doesn't surprise me. Um it's more surprising to me when a room shuts down when there is a you know a creative engaged manager running it because that uh, you you put somebody like that in any room even in a lot of competition and they're going to find a way to to make it succeed in some level yeah um it may not rise to the
0: um the corporate um Uh, am I supposed to rescue you here because I don't know what you want to (laughs) say corporate (laughs) definition of
2: successful right (laughs) oh yeah two kinds of successful right so you know uh, a a poker somebody's been a poker manager all over the place for years and can tell you that the room that's not generating a lot of revenue is actually being successful because it's overperforming for what it could be right
0: yeah
2: but the bean counters up in the uh, seventh floor are going to say no it's not so but um, but no, it was kind of interesting to look at. So um, you know, I wonder if if somebody else out there with more dead time on their hands, not us, <laughs> could actually uh, drill down a little bit more and maybe find that that interesting thing that you think is missing. Yeah, and is missing. So.
0: Hi, any updates? Uh Honda Resort Casino in Arizona, Windy City Poker Championship in Illinois, Live Casino and Hotel in Maryland, Lucky Chances Casino in California. Pearl River Resort in Mississippi and Seneca Resort and Casino in New York are the latest poker venues to join our next restock the shelves food bank initiative with Blue Shark Optics this January. Please see slash restock for details on all events and how you can get involved to make a difference in your community. Also, Pearl River Resort has started its restock promotions early. From now through January 31st, get 1,000 units in any regular weekly tournament. For donating a food item, and every food item donated, players a raffle. Players get a raffle ticket for a chance Sorry. to win. <laughs> There's a bunch of mistakes in this thing. Uh, tournament <laughs> entry or a hundred bucks. Wow, how does that work? Oh, so they get they get the raffle tickets for a chance to win an entry or a right. hundred bucks. Right. That's cool. Yeah, right. cool. So you're winning a tournament entry or a hundred bucks. They really embrace it too up there. They we love Pearl River not just because they they do a tour stop with us and everything, but we've hung out with Neil and. They really embraced the restock and just love that property to death. Yeah, Denise, the poker
2: manager, always looks forward to it, and uh, that, that's what makes it work. When yeah. you have a poker manager that actually looks forward to it year over year, then you know it's going to be successful. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Up in your home area, apply at com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in Central Florida and Michigan. Uh, just in time for all your holiday shopping, AnteUp has partnered with T Public to open a new online storefront where you can get AnteUp logoed merch. Visit uh, tpubliccom stores anti-dash up to check out T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and more with your choice of the AnteUp magazine, AnteUp PokerCast, or AnteUp Poker Tour logos. We'll be rolling out new, unique designs soon. And for a limited time, T Republic has all merch on sale. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Checkter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook <clears throat> from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math. At Poker911.net comes from Robin Langley. You guys got to sit back and wait for this. this. This is a long one.
2: Well, wait till you get to response.
0: That's what I'm saying. The whole call to floor today <laughs> is is a long one. So uh, he says, I don't get to play circuit events that often, but I found myself with 29 players remaining in a $300 event at Choctaw that was paying 24 places. I was in the big blind with about 32 grand. The blinds were $1,503 grand with a $300 ante. On the screen it was showing that average chip stack was forty five thousand chips. With seventy two hundred in the pot and me being left with twenty eight eight, uh, the button min raised to six grand. I had Ace of Diamonds, Jack of Diamonds. I made the call and now have twenty five thousand eight hundred. The flop came jack seven four. I'm happy but I'm also very nervous. I have only played a few circuit events and this three hundred dollar buy in was the largest one. I wanted to make it to the money, even a min-cash would have made me happy. Then I could try to build the stack from there. I might have angered a few players at this time uh, with what I did because I was, wasn't was totally sure of the rules, so at least I am smart enough to ask before making a bonehead move. I asked the dealer if I could expose any of my cards. The dealer told me that if I did, the hand would be dead and I would lose. The dealer said this is, an another, this is another form of mucking the cards. I didn't want to believe it, so I asked for the floor could be, to be called. The supervisor came over, and I was told no for the same reason. Since I was denied, I at least muttered under my breath, trying to tell the other guy that I had a hand. I said, I hit the jack hard, so I'm all in. I believe if he had folded, I could have folded my way to the money, as I would have had about 41000 I guess my calling the floor and then making my comment about hitting the jack told the button that I was full of horsey poo, <laughs> because he instantly called. Almost beat me in the pot with the chips. He flipped over ace-king off-suit. The turn came a-queen, and of course, since I am asking the question in the first place, you know a big, fat, nasty king came on the river. I believe that if I were able to display a card before making my bet, I could have enticed him to fold. Why can you expose cards in cash games, but apparently not in tournaments, when you are heads up?
2: All right, all he says, even though you didn't cash, I would like to commend you for a very deep run in your most expensive tournament to date. The situation you describe is covered in the TDA rules as well as the WSOP circuit rules that should have been in use during the event in which you participated. WSOP circuit rule 114, table talk and disclosure. Participants are obligated to protect the other participants in the tournament at all times. Therefore, whether in a hand or not, participants may not A, disclose contents of live or folded hands, B, advise or criticize play at any time, C, read a hand that hasn't been tabled, D, discuss strategy with an outside source while involved in a hand, E, the, the one participant to a hand rule mentioned in Rule 112 will be enforced. Rule 115, exposing cards and proper folding. A participant exposing his or her cards with action pending will incur a penalty but will not have a dead hand. The penalty will begin at the end of the hand. All participants at the table are entitled to see the exposed cards if requested. When folding cards should be pushed forward, low to the table, not deliberately exposed or tossed high, also known as helicoptered. Says, Elliot says, you're wanting to disclose the contents of your hand should result in a penalty that could have been missing a hand or hands, but should never be having a hand rule dead. Neither the TDA nor the WSOP circuit rules allow for declaring a hand dead after a violation of this type. You were correct to ask the dealer and the supervisor, but they both appear to give you misinformation. Uh, he said, this may be a house rule, around, but I can't really believe that. You then avoided avoid the exposure rule by violating the disclosure rule. Exposure of cards is allowed in most cash games, but in virtually no tournaments until there are only two players left. This is because of the very nature of the two quite different activities. A hand of cash poker is only a player against the players at the table, and it lasts for the duration of the hand. After the hand, any player has the right to take their chips and leave, and buy more chips if necessary. In tournament play, each player is competing with and theoretically playing against everyone in the entire field. No player has the right to remove their chips from play in order to cash them out, and no one can buy more chips to add to their stack, assuming any rebuy period is over or never existed. Let me state this in another way. In cash play, the object is expressly to gain the chips of your opponents. That's it. In tournament, the, the opponent, uh, the object is to get eliminated later than all of your other opponents. Uh, the need to survive is so much more important than the need to press every advantage and accumulate every last chip that these rules were mandated back in the 80s Due to so many players exposing aces pre-flop and sets on the flop in tournaments, that tournament play was quickly becoming tedious and lengthy, but most importantly, unfair. This, of course, exactly parallels the situation you described. You called a raise with a shortish stack, hit the best card you could, and yet you still wanted to find a way to get your opponent to fold what you thought was a worst hand. Survival so was more important than accumulating more chips, a very basic tournament truth in most cases. I'll leave the rest of the gameplay advice and commentary to Malcolm, <laughs> Brent, and my other fellow contributors. To return to the subject, this is the exact situation that comes up so often. These rules need to exist and be forced. otherwise, tournaments would take forever and be no, no more fun.
0: kind of like this segment right now—it's <laughs> so <laughs> long. Um, you know, I, 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 I understand. You know why Robin was so frustrated. You have those moments where you know you have the best hand. And you just know for some reason that you're gonna get sucked out on, uh, or you really want them to fold because you don't want them to try to draw or whatever. And you and there's nothing. You just feel helpless in a tournament because you're not supposed to do this stuff. And you know in a cash game, here's the deal: even if the guy believed you had a jack, I think he's probably calling. I I don't know how much the stack was. That's the thing. Yeah, that's you know if this person had like 300 grand in front of him and they know they had two overs to your pair of jacks not knowing you had the ace, you know, then they're thinking, eh, you know what, he could be bluffing, he could be lying, and if I'm wrong, I got six outs to beat him twice, you know, something like that, or whatever it was. So, to me, you know, even if you showed the jack, he still might have called. I don't know what a stack was. You probably will tell us later that it was the same as yours and it was a stupid call. But in my mind, you know, you may not have gotten the fold anyway. But I can see your frustration, and it does seem... A little odd that you can't. I, I would have showed the card anyway because what are they going to do? Give you a penalty? You double. You if you at least go on that pot, then you would have been able to survive what they penalize you anyway. If that's what you wanted to do, it's not like they're going to throw you out. But when they say it was a hand dead dead hand, then you can't show your card, and that 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 seems weird that those guys don't know the rule. The yeah, rule the
2: that's probably the most surprising thing is both the dealer and the floor weren't aware of the circuit rule. On this and gave bad advice, um, yeah. Let's, let's see where the blinds were at three thousand. I mean, even if you were giving a giving a one round penalty, which is probably extreme in this case. I mean, you're out forty five hundred plus plus three thousand. Annie, so seventy five. Yeah, so and you would have won twenty some thousand here, right? Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. It would be the calculation you'd have to make, and it sounds like you it would have been fine had you known for sure what they were going to do. Um, now, I don't think any floor is going to tell you exactly what the penalty is going to be, right? So, you know, it could say you will be – you, if you expose that hand, you will get a penalty. I imagine the floor would tell you that, but then they'll wait until you do it and then tell you whether it's one hand or around or something else. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah um, – but I think it was a good one to have on the show just because I think that's a, one of those common questions that people don't understand, the difference between cash games and tournaments. And I thought Ali did a fantastic job of explaining
0: Yeah, And that's what you always think about, too, is people don't realize that. You're not just playing the guys at your table in a tournament. You're playing the tournament. That's why you have to always show the cards at the end, too. And there's there's a lot of reasons when you think about it. It makes sense. Tournament rules are, have to be different than cash game rules. They have to be.
2: Absolutely have to be. Uh, the other thing, too, is the one thing that I told uh, Robin when I uh, responded right away was the big thing for me is just the the slowing down in play, and I'm glad that they got into that, too. You know, again, in cash play, you know, there's no time limit. You know, obviously, some of the players at the table might be interested in getting more hands per hour in, but, you know, there's no clock, right? right. So in a tournament, the longer you, you pull these... And sorry, Robin, to these Hollywood games where you're exposing a card or doing the showdown—you know—we've we, talked on the show a lot how tanking took off and just kind of ruined it. Yeah. You know, when you're doing that, now the clock's ticking, and everybody else at the table is being hurt by the time that you're taking. So, um, if as Elliot mentioned, if you're allowed to do all this stuff, imagine how many people would do it. Imagine how slow tournaments would run, how quickly the clock would run down. And how fewer hands you get, and then maybe a lot of players would decide not to play tournaments anymore. I mean, I certainly, with the way I play, I wouldn't want, you know, I wouldn't want to get five hands per round in. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> no, exactly.
2: Um, so, um, so I, I thought it was a very good uh, question to put on there, and, and good answers for people to ponder as they go forward.
0: Absolutely, and and just again, I, I mean, I share the frustration when you know. You want to survive. This is your first big time, you know, circuit event, and you're so close to the money, and you're like, oh, I just, I just, I want to win this spot so bad, and know I'm going to survive and probably make the money, and you just don't want this person to call because you know you're probably ahead, and they might suck out on you, or they might be drawing, even though it was a Jack Seven Four board, but uh, it's a tough break. But uh, as a consolation, you made the show. <laughs> hey, we have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes.
1: Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, we're back at our regular $1-$2, no-limit hold'em cash game at a casino we frequent. We've been having an up-and-down night, getting our starting stack of 300 down to 140 before adding on another 100 and then doubling up. We sit with around 480 Since we've been at the table, two uber-maniacs have sat down. They know each other and like to trash talk, but really only to one another. They play fast, aggressively, and extremely loose, but they will fold if pressured enough. The blinds post, and Maniac 1 makes it $15 to go. Maniac 2 calls from early position, and it's folded to us in the cutoff with the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. Nice! Let's make some money with these ladies. We bump it to $60. It's folded around to Maniac 1, who also folds, but Maniac 2 calls. He started the hand with around 340 there's around 130 in the pot, and the flop is the jack of hearts, eight of spades, five of spades. The maniac checks, and we make it $80 to go. The maniac instantly shoves, which is not entirely unexpected. So, if we call and lose, we're down to 140. Call and win, and we are in the midst of a huge night. What's the move? All
2: right, it's time with dot training.com. Hand of the Weeks. In your hands or situations, a podcast at anti If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Kevin O'Coin. O'Coin? O'Coin. O'Coin? O'coin? O'coin. O'coin? <laughs> How long are we going to do this for? <laughs> I don't know. I was just trying to figure it <laughs> out. Anyhow, Kevin writes in today. <laughs> and he says it's his first time submitting a hand, hoping it's podcast-worthy. Well, guess what? It's on the podcast, so we'll let everybody else... Determine if it's worthy. You <laughs> should the,
0: he got half of it. So well, far. when they attend the conference, read this Hand of the Week yeah, to them and right. see what they say at the conference.
2: <laughs> All right, playing one, two, no limit at MGM Springfield. Lots of players going up there. I was going to
0: say, yeah. yeah, I'm glad the place opened up. It's provided a lot of content for our show.
2: It was around 10 p.m. on a Friday night, and a hot seat promotion ended at 8.15, which cleared out a pretty big crowd. But it was still busy, and we had a full table. Uh, the hero is a late 20s, dressed in jeans and hoodie, wearing a hat with my hood up. I'm more than likely perceived as having the tendencies of a tight aggressive player, but I can be a bit looser than I let on.
0: Oh, he's got to turn in his hoodie uh, card then. You can't be tight aggressive and wear a hoodie. Yeah. He he's got the he's got the uh, lag look, not the tag. <laughs> lag play. look with the tag play, that's not right. You can't <laughs> do that.
2: I've been playing at the table for about 4 hours. I have only had to show down two or three hands. One I had king queen suited uh, when I was under the gun plus one. I was down to only $35 in my stack and showed preflop. Got lucky and flopped a queen against ace-10 offsuit. Chris is pissed. Yes. Uh, the other I had queen-10 uh, suited in the big, my big blind, flopped a queen, and ran it out to be queen-swell-7s. Uh, about two hands had the king-queen double up. Lucky much, he says. <laughs> anyway, any uh, other hand I was involved in, I was uh, the preflop raiser most of the time and tried to take control of the hand. Either got folds when I needed to. Unfortunately, I got some of those folds when I could have taken different lines and probably got more value. And also got one or two bluffs through. Now on to the villain. The villain is, my best guess, in his late 30s or early 40s, wearing sunglasses and a fedora, but not the nice kind of either accessory. (laughs) Sunglasses look like they could have come from the spinning display case in an airport convenience store, and the fedora could have been a piece of brown construction paper that was folded to look like a hat.
0: I know somebody who lives in Connecticut who does that. (laughs) Takes brown paper bags and rolls them back. He's a real idiot. Uh, But uh, maybe this is him. Maybe he went to Springfield to play. Could be him.
2: Uh, it's a, either way, he's been at the table the whole time I've been there. Uh, he's a loose passive player who is extremely sticky. Unfortunately, I saw him take about 300 off a woman opposite of me on two consecutive hands when he called down two streets of betting with a gut shot straight draw and a six high flush draw and rivered both. Gross. <laughs> uh, this seems to be his MO. He sucked out uh, probably two or three other times over the course of the night, but I can't recall the specific circumstances. Enough about him and I, let's move on to the hand. Hero uh, <laughs> sitting in the low jack. It folds around to me, and I looked at it. Ace of clubs, jack of diamonds, and we have 145 bucks in our stack.
0: All right. uh, It's a 1-2 game, I guess? 1-2, yes. 1-2, right? Okay, it's been a while since we... Um, I don't know. Well, I guess the 10, 12, 15, whatever, whatever the standard raises the table, that's what we do. I, 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 it's not a great hand, but you're... Further along in the rotations of the table, that it's probably worthy of a raise. So let's do it. Yeah.
2: Big ass, big 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 ace. Uh, we're first in and good position. So yeah, uh, standard raise, and did that's what he, say, he makes a standard raise to twelve.
0: Did you say big ass?
2: I think I might have. So. <laughs> again, for the we know what's on your mind?
0: <laughs> Whenever you talk to me, you always think ass. I don't know what it is, but that's and what I you I definitely do. think you're a big ass. A so. Big ass. You've told me that before. So. <laughs>
2: All right, pulls around to the villain of the big blind. Who calls? He has about three fifteen in his stacks, so he has his well covered. Okay. Flop is the ten of diamonds, ace of spades, six of hearts. Villain thinks about three seconds and
0: checks. All right. Well, there's about twenty four in the pot or so. I mean, I I don't know. Bet uh, uh, half the pot, maybe half the pot. Sound right? A little more than half the pot, maybe. Maybe yeah, twenty bucks, twenty bucks, bucks, maybe. If it's twenty yeah. five in the pot, maybe twenty, maybe. I don't know. Nice, yeah, nice I think
2: pretty much any bet here is going to take this down unless he's got something. I mean, it's a weird board. You know, there's no no flush draws there. Straight draws are Broadway, so which he could have, but um, I think standard C bet when we hit. I like it.
0: You know. yeah. Um. So yeah, 20, 20, 20 bucks, I mean, right? some people bet pot and stuff like that on these because they just you know, whatever, they're trying to build a pot and want to get it, you know, get some money in or whatever, but I mean, I I don't know if you want to, I don't know if there's a hand that you want to come along, if you want a lesser ace to come along, maybe, like some of you call with like an ace five or an ace nine, so you might want to temper your bet to something smaller to get them to come along, but at the same time, could somebody who has big cards that's drawing to a Broadway or, you know, could hit a stinky two pair, you know, so I mean, I I don't know, You, you might want to That's the thing, is you know, this guy seems to be that he's playing against. He sucked out on people, so that's something to keep in the back of your mind too. He might be trying to hit these. Didn't he say something about a gut shot or something? So,
2: yeah, he said he had a fedora.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that brown paper bag for Dora. So uh,
2: he stuck to the end and, and hit a gut shot straight, and stuck to the end and hit a six high flush. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I mean, maybe you do want to bet more to get if you if you think that this. Yeah. I
2: mean, here's the thing: if he's the type that's going to call and try to suck out on you, the best way that it is is to get him to over yeah. call yeah. bets.
0: Keep betting as much as you want, then.
2: And so he has to pay a pretty high price to suck out on you, knowing that more than likely he's not going to suck out on you, even though he's been lucky today.
0: Yeah. So, and a little bit of a decent amount then. Yeah. I got like, I think. Okay.
2: Um, all right. Hitter says uh, this is a good flop for me, and I'm fairly confident I'm ahead, seeing as the villain will play a pretty wide range of hands, especially being the last to act pre flop in his big blind. There's $25 in the pot, and I put out a pot sized bet of 25 I don't have a problem with that.
0: Yeah, that's fine.
2: Um, the opponent doesn't take much time to think and calls. He says, uh, my thought at this point was he makes a call that either has a weaker ace, maybe hand like queen 10, king 10, maybe jack 10. But I'm blocking that with my jack. King, queen, king, jack, smaller pocket pairs could be feasible, pocket six may, maybe. But I think he's either going to bet out or check raise with that here or that. Um, probably not there.
1: It's yeah. too
2: dry for that. But all in all, I'm pretty good. I feel pretty good about my hand at this point. The turn is the four of clubs, So our more now is ten of diamonds, ace of spades, six of hearts, four of clubs. Villain checks to us again.
0: Okay, well, I mean, we still like our hand. I mean, there's no way that helped him unless he had ace four, you know. There's no way that card helps him. It's, like he said, it's, uh, you know, completing, let's see, the diamond, spade, heart, club. Yeah, so there's no chance of a flush now you really don't think of a straight other than maybe broadway he could be doing that um so i'm still going to bet a decent amount here but not not too much you know what i mean you, you don't know for certain that you're ahead so there's 50 and then the original 20 so it's like 75 in the pot so i don't know i, I don't know 50 bucks maybe
2: well okay so we pay, let's see we started at 130 I'm sorry 145 we raised to 12 and then we put on So we put 37 in already so now we're <laughs> down to about 108 Yeah I mean at this point you know or any reasonable bet is committing us right
0: Well I don't know I mean I, let me ask you if you had 108 are you really going to put 108 in the middle for with a pot that's only 75 and it just seems even though I know that you can't fold from here on out. Maybe you're also telling him that? Just seems like an overbet to put hundred and eight in there. You're not really protecting against anything other than a gut shot. And if he's gonna call off a bet for a gut shot, no matter what bet you make, he's making a mistake. So I don't know if I really want to risk the whole hundred and eight.
2: Well, I wouldn't necessarily am. I just it seems weird to if we're gonna make a pot size bet to leave thirty bucks and bus fare behind. Yeah, but who makes the a pot best? size
0: bet on the turn? That's that's huge. Yeah. So, all right, so about 50 then? That's what I was saying. You know, 45,
2: 50. The rest in on the river. Yep. Yeah, all right. Let
0: me go over that. And then that way, too, if the river comes on a really scare card and he checks, even if he checks, then he's he's gotten this sort of pattern of checking to you. Maybe you get away for 50, and then you still have, you know, 68 in your stack instead of zero because he hit a set of sixes and was slow playing it, you know? Just. Why not? I mean, there's no. All kinds of hands now. The way he's played it, all kinds of hands can play it the way he's playing it. So you're not going to get a good read on what he has. Shoving is just going to ensure that if you're behind, you're going to lose. And it, even at this point, if he's got something that he likes, you know, he's got a big stack and it sounds like he likes to see cars to the end, you may not even get him to fold anyway. So why not save some money?
2: All right, our hero says, I have to bet here. I opt to shove the remainder of my stack into the pot. I do this thinking this is the best way to get value from him as he wants to see every river. So if I get it all in now, I'm likely getting a call. I actually thought about that, so we'll see what happens here. But if I put out a small bet and get a call that goes to a blank river, I'm leaving about $50 of value behind that I won't get out of the villain. Mm. He thinks about... Fifteen seconds. Uh, as soon as he's been thinking for five seconds, I feel extremely confident that I'm good here. And then he unconfidently tosses a single red chip in the pot and announces, "Call." Hmm. The river comes, the jack of clubs, and I flip over my hand confidently, thinking I've won, until he states, "Oh, nice, a jack." And tables, king, queen for the cut shot straight, <laughs> and my night of the tables. I look at his dollar store sunglasses. Stay. This is effing gross, and walk away from the table. <laughs> Trials and tribulations of a recreational poker player, right?
0: Congratulations, Kevin! Your hand is now qualified for being podcast worthy. (laughs) Because that suck-out was brutal and worthy of discussion. I, I do think that I mean, maybe you get away from the hand now and you do save $50 instead of losing $50 in value. I mean... I usually we get I get away from th- trip jacks now. No, I, mean, I know, but you're right. It, it, there's probably no way you're going to save your money now. Um, yeah, but, but, but no matter what you did, I think, though, I, I think
2: it, in hindsight, I think this is why I was thinking about shoving, and I'm glad he he mentioned it and did it. Is that with this kind of player, if he does have a gut shot, which we have to put in his range, right, based on what we know about him. Um let's get all the money in now, and then he has to hit that on the end, and if he doesn't hit it, you know, if anything other than that jack, king, or queen comes on the river, he's not putting another dollar in the spot, right? So we did get him to commit with the worst hand, and he just hit. So
0: Yeah. And the other you know. thing too is that he's now looking at it like I mean the Jack, King or Queen, he has to have the Jack to win because the King or Queen doesn't give him a victory anyway. So oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, well, no, right. hold on, because we just had a jack. So yeah, so we make aces up. He had aces already. So a king or queen just gives the other guy kings or queens. We had aces, so we would have we would have won even if a king. Oh or yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I thought the, I thought it was a jack on the board. No. You're right, you're right,
2: you're right. So sorry. I mean, oh, I, so that's right. I was confused. I had, I thought we had trip jacks. We had
0: two pair. Got gotcha. right. All right. So I'm thinking this is like, no matter what he did, he was not going to save his money. I guess. I mean, it, it's all hindsight. Twenty twenty. You know, but um. There's no way you can play this hand now and save your money unless you shove pre flop, you know, which obviously you're not going to do. It's stupid. So yeah. after that flop, he's got a gutter. He's obviously got a penchant for hitting gutters and thinks that way. And he's got 350 in his stack, so he's not going anywhere. He could absorb your entire stack and still be at 200. So he's not worried about it. The turn, you know, at that point, he's thinking, well, my king could be good, my queen could be good. Jack, if could, and I got to call 100 to win 180. And he's thinking, eh, you know, I got 350 in front of me. You know what the hell? Or whatever it was when he started the hand. So these are the type of players that that's how they get these huge stacks. And I remember playing at Foxwoods a lot of times with guys like that where they just make these, you know, huge, huge stacks out of calls like this because people are willing to shove on flops or turns and they could have probably, you know, induced a fold along the way with just normal bets. And so when these guys see, oh, there's a possibility that I can get this whole stack, you know what I mean, then they stick around. And and not that, you, like I said, in this case, this guy probably couldn't wouldn't have gone anywhere, and you would have probably lost all your chips no matter what you did because you're not getting away from aces up. Um, but it, it, this is just a lesson for the future where, you know, if it comes – 5 or 6 or something, you know, or 3 at the end or something. Now you only have aces. At this point, you know, he might be willing to slow play his two pair to see if you're going to bet again and then you check behind and you save money. You know what I mean? It's just it just happens to be that you lost this hand or and you, and you happen to make aces up on the river that makes it so painful. Um but I really think the lesson here is I don't know, shoving early is sometimes a bad thing, you know, and, and not necessarily
2: well, but um, but our stack made it a little easier right. to shove and not make it look like it was a weird play, right? Because you know, I don't think a lot of players are gonna look at our our stack at 145, and obviously we weren't gonna shove pre flop, but even on the flop um, and definitely on the turn, it 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 didn't seem too outlandish to to shove there with, with the size of our stack. We yeah, it, if, on 400
0: or something would be different. Yeah, but. if it was a little bigger, it would have been kind of weird. But yeah, I guess it is one of those things, it's just that you hate to be wrong against a guy like this who's got a big stack has your cover and has been hitting hands all night you hate to be wrong with your read or your guess and you put 145 in there drawing dead because he's got a set of sixes you know, I mean, that that's all the right. thing that scares me I, I like to have the what do I say, bus fare home if I can sometimes you know, um, and I like to get into that limit poker mode too where you're trying to save a bet too, if, if it's just a pair of aces at that point, you know what I mean it, it, I realize it's also a pair of aces with a jack kicker, you know, it's not Ace King or Ace Queen, and I'm not saying that you know pre-flop this guy wouldn't have re-raised you had he had Ace King or Ace Queen, but you know you still only had Ace with the third best kicker. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I just don't know if shoving there is is a big deal. Is is the right thing to do? Even depend even the size of your stack. But I know you can argue about it. The, let the pundits have at it on on our <laughs> Facebook fan fans page. But uh, definitely podcast worthy. I'm Chris Casenza and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at tables.
1: AntiUp is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the PodSafe Music Network.